Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm back broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Yes, welcome back to the studio. I know the last two episodes were kind of a little crazy. I was on a cruise ship. I was on my vacation. Um, a lot happened in the weeks leading up to my vacation where I, it, let's just say it got a little out of control. <laughs> And I could not get everything recorded as I needed to. We even used some pre-recorded episodes in the weeks leading up because it was just a little um, nuts. <laughs> but I got on my vacation. I'm feeling a lot better. I needed some time off. And what a trip it was. A trip of a lifetime. I mean, any golfers out there, I'm sorry you're going to be envious. I'm just being honest. I played some of the greatest golf courses in the entire world. It was just a once-in-a-lifetime. I, I, I got onto St. Andrews. Any of you golfers out there going, oh, did he get there? Did, yes, I did. I got on St. Andrews, <laughs> played Royal County down. I put, oh, just, I list goes on. But this isn't a golf podcast. We won't focus too much on that. Uh, but, you know, I have to welcome you guys back. We're back in the studio. I've got to get a ton of YouTube episodes up still. I'm a little behind on that. One man show here. I appreciate everybody with their patience with me. But uh, hey, I feel a little re-energized, rejuvenated, and ready to go. So let's get, get back into the podcast. Now, of course, guys, you can also find me on Instagram. Go check my Instagram page out. It's uh, at Speak a Dogcast. Yes. Now you can also head on over to my YouTube channel. If that visual thing is more your thing, go on over there, check it out. Give me a like, give me a subscribe at Speak a Dogcast as well. And if you want to support the show even further, we're going to bring even more content your way. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash Speak a Dogcast. Yes. Now on today's show, we're talking about the power of the spot. Yes, that spot command, that place command, station training, whatever you want to call it. We're going to talk about why your dog needs to know it, how to teach him it, and the different ways we can utilize it. Then comes how to feed your dog. We're sort of doing an extension from last week, right? Uh, we talked a bit about people, food, and dogs, what you should or shouldn't feed your dogs. And today it's more about the how we should be feeding. Yes, there is a right and a wrong way to feed your dogs. We're going to dive into that. Then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by our listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, keep sending them my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or just message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what is the strongest insect in the world? Yes, what is the strongest insect in the world? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, the power of the spot. Now we're talking about a spot command, a place command. Station training has a few different names, all kinds of names. I like to call it the spot command, go to your spot, easy to say, very concise. And it can be a helpful tool in your training belt, right? Having that spot command to be able to utilize in a multitude of instances and circumstances is going to help bring success to training with your dog. Now I know, it seems very simplistic. It's, it's, it's going to a spot, so what, David? Guys, it's everything, I'm telling you. Um, it can help with the front door exercises we've gone over constantly. It can help just relax your dog in a moment where maybe they're being a little too much. Um, what if we have a puppy who's just kind of a little obnoxious, right? Because puppies can be, and it's just too much. You gotta get something done, go to your spot, stay, give them a reward or a toy or something to chew on, and it can really, really help you out a lot. So 
Uh, we're gonna talk about the different ways that we can utilize a spot command as well as how to actually train the spot command. Uh, now you can also go back and check out my Instagram page. That's uh, at Speak a Dogcast, of course. Go check out the Instagram. I've got a video up there from a little while back where we actually train the spot command, right? Show you kind of how to do it. But we're gonna break it down a little bit today. Uh, and, and look, the spot command is not, like I think some people view the spot as a very complicated command to train, and it's really not. I mean, honestly, guys, it's it's easier than a recall. It's easier than getting your dog to come back to you. Now, sure, getting your dog to come back to you in your house or one thing, like that's one thing, but I'm talking about outside with distractions, right? So training a spot is really honestly easier because it provides a reference point. Now, it's not to say getting your dog to come back to you as a reference, it's not a reference point, but having that physical reference point to go back to really helps change the mindset of your dog and really helps uh, facilitate whatever you need in that moment. So that's like, my point is you could even take, you could take your dog out leash in public and try to get a recall. And it's going to take, most likely it's going to take longer to train that than it would be if I took a bed or a spot or whatever out into a public place with distractions and told my dog to go to their spot. And I'm telling you, it's because of that physical conditioning, physical repetition where they actually have like a reference point to go to. Um, What's cool about the spot is it doesn't always have to even be a dog bed. We could make it as simple as something. I've actually, I've trained a dog to go to a spot the size of about a quarter. Um, yeah, like put their feet on, literally they will search for it on the ground and make sure they've got their feet on that little quarter size spot. But it always starts with a larger spot, a bigger reference. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a dog bed, but that's the easiest one we all go to because most of us have a dog bed at the house, right? It's an easy reference point and something that's easy to use. So let's talk about how we train a spot command first. Now, it's it's really simplistic, guys, but when we are training our dogs, always gotta give you the reminder, make sure you leash up your dog. Leash and collar, my favorite collar to go to is that Martingale collar and a regular six foot nylon, or maybe even like a leather leash. Uh, but really a basic six foot leash, none of the stretching material stuff, none of these runaway leashes, right? Let's get back to basics and talk about using the proper Martingale collar and the proper leash for your dog. Now, it's not to say that we have to have the leash in our hand at all times, and but it's one of these things where I want my dog to at least be dragging it around during training time so we have that option to be able to redirect with the leash if we need it, okay? Step on the leash if we need it, what have you. But it's always better to have the leash on during training time and not need it than have needed it and not have it on, right? Then you got a problem. Uh, it's a lot harder to redirect if you don't have a physical way to do just that, redirect, okay? So guys, make sure you're leashing up your dogs when you're training them, all right? Um, now the next thing is obvious, we need a bed. <laughs> we need a dog bed. That's how we're gonna train the spot. So make sure you have a dog bed handy and of course your treats and treat pouch. Let's talk about that for just a moment, guys. Let's always just a friendly reminder, right? I don't think I've said it in a while. So the friendly reminder of treat pouch versus putting your treats in a pocket. All right, the pouch is gonna be your best friend. I mean, I know it's incredibly fashionable and awesome too, uh, but it's going to be your best friend because you don't wanna be fumbling with the treats. How many of us, you go to get in your pocket and your hand gets stuck and you can't get the treat out and you're fumbling. And Those extra seconds are crucial when it comes to training your dog. I'm not gonna talk about timing really today, but timing is everything when it comes to training your dog. So that treat pouch helps facilitate better timing when we're training with our dog, and it also allows the treats to disappear. You're not having to hold them in your hand. You're not having to make it this other big deal. It comes out of the pouch, it goes in their mouth, and that's it, we're done. Right back, you know, treats are in the pouch, they're hidden, they're back there, not a big deal, right? So I have to stress it over and over, please use your treats and your treat pouch when we're training our 
dogs. Okay, so we've got our leash, we've got our collar, we've got our dog bed, we've got our treats, and we've got our treat pouch. Now, look, it really is pretty simple. It's very basic. All you're going to do is you're going to say the command, whatever that command you want it to be. Like I said, for me, it's go spot, it could be go place, whatever you want to say. Go to your spot, okay? I'm going to guide them over physically with the leash to the spot, get them on the dog bed, and the second in even just one of their paws hits that dog bed the first time, we're going to reward it with a treat right away. Very important, okay? So I'm going to guide them over, say, hey, go to your spot. Second that paw hits the bed, we're going to say, hey, good boy, good girl, good spot, feed him a treat, okay? Now, a little side note here on training this. I like to always have my release word working for me at this point. So if we're, if we're up to training a spot command, we should already have a release word. My release word is all right. It can be okay, um, whatever you want it to be. But a release word is going to show your dog in a very black and white way. Continue doing what I'm asking you to do until they release you. It's very simple. If I ask them for a sit, they should sit until they release them. If I say stay, they should stay until they release them. This can be handy for the front door, for greeting people, for feeding time, for all different kinds of things. So the, the release word, walking outside, I don't want my dog to bolt out the front door. Sit, stay, release word, okay? Very important. So if your dog already knows a release word, we can start incorporating it into the spot command. Go to your spot, they get a paw in there. All right, release them off, good boy. Rinse and repeat. We're gonna play the washing machine game now. Yes, it is time to rinse and repeat that command with the leash on, guiding them over at least another 10 times, guys. At least another 10 times right there at a little set. We're gonna do a set of probably, what, 10 to 15 of these, and then be done for a minute or two, right? This set to get them on and off the dog bed should take two or three minutes at max, and then I'm gonna release them, let them hang out, sniff around, whatever they wanna do, cool, give them five minutes off. The reason for this is it is better to get a short, meaningful amount of training in, in a short amount of time, rather than keep going and going and going and going, because your dog can get bored, your dog can get tired. Sometimes the information just becomes a little convoluted. You know, it can just get a little overwhelming, and we want them to be able to understand information in little bite-sized pieces. So it's good to do like a two or three minute session, take a break, and then come back and do another two and three minute session. Okay, then we're gonna rinse and repeat it again. This time, Depends. If I feel like my dog is getting it and they're starting to kind of understand going to the spot, maybe I'll release a little of the tension and just say, hey, go to your spot and see if they go on their own. If they don't, no big deal. We go back to guiding them with the leash. Why? Because we still have a leash on because we're training, right? Uh, guide them back and we go back a step back to reinforcing and, and strengthening it with the guidance of the leash, okay? Now, you can probably guess what's coming next, right? Then we just don't give them any guidance with the leash at all, and we say go to the spot, they go to the spot on their own, from five feet away, rinse and repeat. Then I'm gonna work it from 10 feet away, rinse and repeat. Then I'm gonna work it from across the house, go to your spot, see if they'll run over to their, find their dog bed and get on it, sit and stay, okay? Rinse and repeat. Now one other addition to this is once we do start making that kind of connection of, oh, I go to my spot, I get the reward, I wanna add in a stay command there because I want them to understand that sometimes you need to stay on the dog bed, whether that be for 10 seconds, whether that be for 10 minutes. We're gonna start extending the amount of time our dog sits on a dog bed, okay? So that way, we can utilize the dog bed for, like I said, a variety of circumstances, okay? And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. But it's important that we not only teach the dog to go to the dog bed, but we need to teach him to stay on the dog bed and to be released from the dog bed, okay? Then I like to take the dog bed and start moving it into different locations, different circles. This is where we start with the front door. Uh, if you guys haven't listened to my front door episodes, feel free, go back, check them out. Um, all kinds of great info on how to get the front door under better control. And it starts with this dog bed, with this spot command every single time. So if we aren't familiar with the spot, it's gonna be hard 
to, or at least harder, maybe not super hard, depending on your dog, uh, but it could be harder to train the front door and to get them to calm down without that reference of a spot command. So something to consider, right? Um, Anyway, so we're not going to go into great detail of how we utilize specifically uh, the, you know, how we go through the whole process rather. But guys, in a nutshell, it goes like this. The doorbell rings. I tell my dog to go to the spot. They sit down on the spot. I tell them stay. I invite my guests in. I say hello to my guests. When I'm ready, I release my dog. My dog goes over calmly, says hello, and all is well. Having that spot as a reference point allows us to create control and management over the door. And without it, it can turn in, well, quite frankly, to chaos, right? So uh, it's important to have that spot command just for the front door. What about if our dog's just acting a little hyper? They're just, they're, they're, they're a little nuts. I need them to relax. It's sort of like putting a kid in a timeout, think of it that way, or redirecting a kid to a calmer activity and giving them something to keep them busy that's not acting like a lunatic. I hope parents out there, you, you're doing that and reinforcing calmer behaviors in our children. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> The spot can also be utilized if our puppy, dog, whatever, doesn't even have to be a puppy. They're just acting a little crazy. I can say, hey, go to your spot, lie down, stay. They give me 30 seconds to a minute of being calm. I might go give them a bone or something, you know, a bully stick, something to keep them occupied, a Kong toy filled with something, whatever, as a reward and as a way to keep them occupied and redirect that crazy focus, right? So like we're taking care of two things at once, but we have to create that calmness first. And the way we're going to do that is through the use of a spot, okay? So... Uh, again, some people just don't consider the variety of uses we could use our spot with. And you have to take, you have to, you have to take that into consideration. There's so many great things. How about when we start going out into public and we want to take our dog to lunch and it's one of the first times our dog has been to lunch. If you bring a small dog bed for your dog to curl up on and relax on, and we've already been using that dog bed as a source of, of calming, of relaxation. This is that physical reference I was talking about at the beginning of the segment. If we can take that physical reference, that conditioned, that it's, it, we, we're calm when we're on the bed, and we can take it out into public, we can go to lunch, we can lay the bed down, say, hey, go to your spot, lie down. And they're like, oh yeah, I know what to do. This is cool. We're gonna, this is a relaxing thing. I like this. We're already conditioning something new to be something calm and fun, right? Just by having that reference point of a spot there. So... I, I, I can't stress it enough. You've got to train these spot commands and we have to extend the spot command to the point that our dog is willing to stay there as long as we need them to because we have conditioned it as a calming, relaxing, fun thing for them, right? But it always starts at home, guys. It always starts with doing this at home. You can't just like teach your dog a spot in a week and then take them out into public and expect it to just be perfect. It's not the way it's going to work. You need to spend time, weeks, conditioning, weeks and weeks conditioning the spot as a calming thing, as a nice relaxation type of thing before we can expect that to transfer out into public, okay? Um, but no different, if I'm going to like a family member's house for the first time or a friend's house for the first time with my dog, I might bring a spot with me, especially if they're especially if they're a young puppy. Um, you know, might bring the spot with me to help just again facilitate that just because we're out somewhere doesn't mean we go crazy, we still have this reference point to relax, okay? Um, another thing with the spot command, we can start with feeding time. Same kind of thing. Put the spot down, tell them to sit, stay. A lot of times I'll find like a, um, a corner of a carpet in my clients' homes that we can, you know, utilize for feeding time. We don't necessarily have to bring a bed over, but it's that same concept. There's a, there's a piece of carpet. They know they have that reference point, the physical reference point. Sit, stay, relax, food comes your way. We can start utilizing the spot in so many different circumstances. I cannot stress it enough. Spend some time getting familiar with the spot, letting your dog get familiar with the spot. Spend some time conditioning the spot as a calm, relaxed, 
happy place, happy reference point for them. And same way, like, think about it. It's the same thing we do with a crate, you know? It, it's the same concept of how we train and condition and reinforce a crate. We can use a crate as sometimes a timeout as a relaxation thing, but wouldn't it be nice if we don't have to do that if we could just put a bed down and say, go to your spot, right? It's like an extension of that crate when you really think about it. Um, so again, guys, get out there, make sure you're starting at home, make sure you start with the spot command at home, we're training that it's a relaxa relaxation type of thing. Uh, we wanna reinforce and condition any calming behaviors utilizing that spot. Then we can move the spot around to the front door to feeding time, maybe taking it out to lunchtime for the first time with our dog to continue uh, that relaxation into different circumstances and situations. But remember, it all starts at home, get it really strengthened at home, and then anywhere else taking the spot shouldn't be a problem. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. feed your dog. Now we're sort of doing, I guess, a continuation, if you will, from last week's episode about people food and dog food. And that was some of the specifics on the actual food, what you should, maybe what you shouldn't feed your dog. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk a little more specifics on how you need to feed your dog, because I think a lot of people miss out on this and don't realize that the way you feed your dog can be vital to their mental health and training success. You heard me correctly, guys. How you feed your dog, the way you feed your dog, if you leave food down, do you not leave food down, uh, what you feed your dog, the amount you feed your dog, all these things have a direct impact on your dog's mental and physical health and the training you do with your dog, okay? So let's talk about food for a moment with animals. Food is one of those things that every animal on this planet requires, right? Like we all need food. We all need water to survive. Uh, we all need food. We've heard of the hierarchy of needs. For those of you that maybe are a little unfamiliar with the hierarchy of needs, I encourage you to go do a little bit of research and read up on it. But essentially, look, it says we have these certain needs that need to be met and in a specific order, right? And obviously safety is going to be like the number one need, right? Then we have food and water after that, nourishment, right? So the thing is, when we talk about the hierarchy of needs, right, there is no animal that can escape this hierarchy. Even ourselves, no matter how civilized and evolved we become, there are certain needs that must be fulfilled that are not things like love or, 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 or professional fulfillment or personal fulfillment. There are things that are always going to outweigh those things, and that's, that's your safety. That's food. That's survival. And so when we talk about something like a dog, we are talking about a more basic animal. It's just the fact, it's just the reality of it. We're talking about a more basic animal. And when we talk about basic animals, those basic instincts come into play more often. 
you know, look, I'll say this. One of the most common things that I see with when it comes to a dog who has anxiety or anxiety issues, um, it's fascinating. The, the number one thing I, I see, the number one correlation that's kind of almost 99% of the time there is eating and anxiety. And this is why the proof is, you know, kind of proof is in the pudding here. When we talk about food and dogs and food and anxiety, here's, here's the one thing I see 99% of the time. It's that the owners leave the food down 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the dog grazes. I see it 99, I mean, I, it's probably 100%. I'm probably not even getting, like, well, nothing's ever 100%, so we're not going there. But it is this constant correlation that is always, always, always there. And look, I'll be honest, even just a dog that just came in, um, it's, it's, it's there, right? It's there. The dog grazes. And the funny thing is I can almost predict the behavior and owners are almost like surprised when they hear that I know exactly how their dog eats. It's that they go over to their food bowl, they grab some kibble, either a piece of kibble or a couple pieces at a time. And then they find some other place in the house, whether that be the corner of a rug or this one, but it's one particular spot that they always go to. And that's where they'll eat that little bit of kibble. And then they might take their time. They might go directly back. Some of them, that's, that's one differentiating factor, but the behavior is the same. I'm going to grab my food over here and then I'm going to take it over there where I have a, I know I'm safe. It's my little safety safe zone and I'm okay. And I can eat the food here. I see it time and time again. And owners are baffled when I know that their dog does this, even though they haven't told me that their dog does this. And the reasoning behind it, guys, right here, it's the hierarchy of needs, right? It is the hierarchy of needs saying, I don't feel safe. I'm anxious. I have anxiety and I don't feel safe. And therefore, I'm not just going to eat wolf down my food like nature has intended for me to do. Why? Because dogs are domesticated wolves. Wolves are predators and they are opportunistic eaters. And so therefore, if food is presented, a dog should almost always eat it. Almost always should a dog eat food when it's presented in the front in front of their face because that's what predators do. Why? Because the food may not be there tomorrow. The food may not be there in five minutes, you know, let alone tomorrow. So you better eat. So a dog choosing not to eat their food in one sitting and taking a kibble and the chewy here, having this anxiety about it, that tells us there, isn't, there is an imbalance in the hierarchy of needs. There is an issue that this dog is clearly experiencing. People don't like to hear that their dog has anxiety, or for that matter, severe anxiety issues. But unfortunately, it's becoming more and more and more and more common, guys. It really is. And I think, and I go, look, I go back, let's beat the dead horse of that. I say it time and time again, we're getting so far removed from our animalistic instincts, from what we are, learning how to communicate with body language, subtleties. We're getting so far removed from it that we don't even know how to talk to our dogs anymore. Talk, relative term, communicate with our animals, understand their language. We used to speak more of the same language, but we don't anymore. And so when we see a dog, oh, you know, they, they're, they're, they're not eating. I better leave a plate of food down 24 hours a day for them because they're not eating. No, that is the opposite of what we should be doing with the food. Because we, again, don't understand how a canine is built and their instinctual needs. Because here's the reality, guys. If you start taking the food away and only presenting it twice a day, here it is for five minutes in the morning. Here it is five minutes in the evening. You're either going to eat or you're not. Sound familiar to anybody maybe the age of 35 or older? <laughs> Does it sound familiar of what mom and dad used to do? This is dinner tonight. This is what you're getting. You don't want to eat it. You're going to bed without dinner. And what did you do? You learned to eat dinner. Why? 
Because an animal is not going to willfully starve themselves. Now, it's a different thing when we get to human beings and we're protesting a cause. Guys, that's the extremities and the extremes. And the reality is only uh, self-aware animals are going to choose to do that. Okay, so, and I know you can argue, oh, David, I've read stories of animals starving. Look, guys, until I see consistent patterns, we're, we're not going there, okay? We're just not going there today. Um, <laughs> okay, so, again, your dog is not going to starve themselves. But if you offer food here and you offer food there, they're going to realize, well, well, I better eat. And all of a sudden, they eat all their food and they go, holy crap, I didn't die. That wasn't so bad. Maybe I don't need to worry about that. And sure enough, next meal, they're going to eat again. I've seen it time and time again, guys. I see it time and time again. If you put the right parameters in place, you can eliminate that anxiety altogether. Takes a little tough love, takes a little patience, but it works. Not saying to starve your dog. That's not what I'm advocating for, just for the record here. The reality is if you keep letting your dog eat piece by piece, bit by bit, they're going to continue having anxiety about their food. And quite frankly, it's probably not healthy because they're probably not getting enough or they might even be getting too much. Depends. But I know if I feed them X amount in the morning, X amount in the evening, I know exactly how much they're getting, when they're getting it, and it's much healthier that way. Okay? We could also start getting into the argument of bloat. What happens when you have a larger breed and you leave food down all day and you don't know how much they're eating or when they're eating and you go exercise them and they ate too much and all of a sudden the stomach flips over and we have an emergency on our hands. So not only from the instinctual point of view, but from a behavioral point of view. So I know I'm kind of going into this a little in depth today, but I'm seeing it too much lately where people are leaving food down for their dogs and their dogs have anxiety and it's a direct correlation. It's not to always say cause and effect that, you know, leaving the food down is making your dog anxious. That's the core of it. I can tell you it's making the dog more anxious. I can guarantee that because uh, it's not supposed to be there. The food is not supposed to just stick around. Okay. So how do we feed our dogs? <laughs> All right, look, like I said, the number one thing is to not leave the food down 24 hours a day. I don't care if you have an only dog. I don't care if there's nobody that's going to eat the food. That, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant to the point of psychologically what we do to our dogs when we leave the food down all day. There are some dogs who can deal with it and are okay with it, but the vast majority, I'm talking to well over 95% of dogs, should not have food left down 24 hours a day. They just shouldn't. Um, it's not mentally healthy from any standpoint, and it's oftentimes not physically healthy. All right? So... With that said, when it comes to feeding time in my house, we have everybody line up. We have all the dogs line up, sit down, stay, relax. I go fill up the food bowls. I bring all the food bowls back. I lay all the food bowls down. They're all looking at me. They're relaxed. We're waiting patiently. And when I'm ready, I release them and they all eat their food. No big deal. Takes a little time, right? We don't just get there overnight with a bunch of dogs all sitting and waiting. Uh, it definitely takes time, practice, and repetition. But look, going right back to the last segment, uh, uh, another segment that we have today about the spot command, it all ties in, right? I like to utilize the spot sometimes to teach our dogs to sit and stay. But to me, everything with dog training is all about one word, control. And something especially like food, as the human, you should absolutely have control over, okay? So that's another reason I want my dogs to sit and stay, relax. We're, we're reinforcing relaxing behavior when it comes to food and eating time, and then I release them to the food, okay? So how we feed our dogs is very important in the sense that we don't leave any food down 24-7. We don't leave food down all the time. Nope. Food is going to come twice a day, depending on the size. Look, if we have a little baby puppy and they need to be eating three times a day, that's one thing. Um... But most dogs out there from a, a health standpoint that are healthy, that don't have any issues, they should be eating two times a day. 
especially the larger the breed we get, we definitely wanna make sure we're splitting that meal into two because as we just talked about a little while ago with bloat, we don't want our dogs to be eating too much in one sitting, potentially causing uh, health issues with that. So something to consider as well. Um, now, again, I like to get them to sit and stay, relax, release them, they eat their food all as well. To me, it also provides some mental stimulation. We have to think about when we domesticate animals, they still have this need and whatever the animal is, like a dog, for example, they're predators, they're predatory need. I like to make my dogs work for their food a little bit. Something as simple as a sit and staying, giving them some purpose, some reason, and then releasing them <clears throat> to their food. There's always this importance we need to put on providing artificial tasks for animals, uh, domesticated animals, animals in captivity. We're not talking about all that today, but dogs are no different. I always wanna provide that little extra mental stimulation when and where I can, all right? Uh, so it's good to have control over the food. It's good to provide that stimulation for the food to get them to sit and stay. Now the amount, one little quick thing I wanna say on the amount of food. If you read some of these bags of dog food, the amount they want to feed these feed your dog is actually kind of absurd and ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Uh, like I always go back to my half lab, half great dame, Penny Lane. She's a big girl. She was like 90, 95 pounds. And the bag of dog food said to feed her, I think like four and a half cups of food a day. I was insane. Like I, that was insane. Um, she ate three cups of food every day and she was perfectly healthy. She looked great. Always got compliments from my veterinarians on her weight. So it's one of those things where you kind of have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. You may need to experiment around with exactly how much to give your dog, but I just wanted to say that the dog food bags are not always accurate. There's always a little difference in metabolism too, especially when you get a mixed breed dog. Um, so talk to your veterinarian more about that of what they think. My veterinarian likes to go by a calorie count versus cups. So again, something to consider a different way and a different perspective to look on how much food you're giving them. But it's important guys, obesity is the number one health issue with pets that is completely preventable. And of course, it's all on you as the owner. Like I gotta wag the finger. Guys, you're the one scooping out the food, giving the treats, right? You have complete control over your dog's weight. And dogs should mentally, a dog actually should keep eating. They should be a Hoover vacuum and eat anything in front of their face because why? Like we talked about already, they're predators. It's in their nature that if food presents itself, they should take that opportunity and eat it. So if you put that treat down, they're gonna eat it, guys. So I need you as the owner to be responsible and have some self-control for your dog. Come on, guys. <laughs> All right, so again, consider how much you're feeding your dog as well. But to me, it's all about balance, whether it be through you know setting the food down, relaxing and doing that, balance of how much we give, uh, balance and understanding their instinct and how to provide for it. That's really what feeding time comes down to. If you have a dog out there who does have some aggression issues, maybe some possession issues with food, that'll be a different segment for a different day and I do encourage you to reach out to a professional before you deal with anything like that okay uh, so find somebody in your area that can help you out now again guys be cautious with feeding time make sure we're using a spot make sure we're making our dogs relax and of course we're not leaving food down 24 hours a day be aware of bloat be aware of how much you're feeding your dog too much too little very important all about balance. But I hope you got a little something out of that today, and I hope you're on a better track to feeding your dog in a mentally healthy and physically healthy way as well. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of animal mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Texas. Now, University of Texas was established on September 15th, 1883. 
The University of Texas at Austin is considered a public Ivy institution and is the flagship of the University of Texas system. Now, the team competes in the NCAA Division I athletics, and their mascot, as you might have guessed it or you might already know, it's the Longhorns. Yes, the Texas Longhorns. Now, they were not always the Longhorns. In fact, the original mascot was a dog named Pig. Yes, the mascot was not a pig, but rather a pit bull terrier that was named Pig. Now, his owner, L. Theo Belmont, he had relocated to Austin as the first athletic director of the University of Texas, and he spent a lot of time walking around the campus with the dog. Pig started to win over all the students and staff, and Belmont would attend many of the games, the football games, with Pig as well. Now, at this time, uh, the football players were already being referred to as Longhorns, but there was no official mascot. Pig became a fixture at the football games from 1914 to 1923, but unfortunately he ended up being struck by a car and he was killed. The school's population was devastated by the news. There was even a large send-off for Pig that was led by the university band. With members of the Texas Cowboys, an honorary student organization at the University of Texas, uh, they were pallbearers at the funeral as well. Now, some reported that there were over a thousand mourners in attendance. I mean, that's, that's just awesome. And a bugle played out taps for the crowd and a memorial marker was placed reading, pigs dead, doggone. <laughs> the most Texas way possible, I love it. Now, the idea to use a live longhorn as the mascot, it's attributed to UT alumnus Stephen Pickney. Now, Pickney in 1916, he was able to secure $124 donated from other alumni to purchase a steer, which they named Bo. Bo made his first appearance at a Thanksgiving Day football game in 1916, but the name Bo did not stick around very long. Now, supposedly, supposedly, it was Ben Dyer of the Campus Magazine that declared, quote, his name is Bevo and long may he reign. It's not known if he was the first person to actually use this name or even why he chose to use the name Bevo, of which, of course, there are many, many theories. But Bevo stuck and the name continues to this day. Now, there have been 15 Bevos to date, with the latest taking over the reign on September the 3rd, 2016. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the strongest insect in the world? It's the horned dung beetle. Yes, they can haul over 1,000 times their own body weight. Next on Speak a Dog Cast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Vicky from Jacksonville, Florida. Vicky says, loving the podcast, just had a quick question for you. I have a Shih Tzu and she's about a year old. She's my first Shih Tzu and I was wondering how often should I bathe and groom her? Vicky, thanks for listening to the podcast. Appreciate the question. Yeah, you know, Shih Tzus, obviously, you know, they have hair. They don't have fur and the hair is going to keep growing on you. So yeah, as far as how often you should get her groomed, I would say, you know, uh, did you say, yeah, she, she's about a year old, just making sure. Uh, you know, how often you should get her groomed. I would say about once a month is a good gauge for an actual grooming. However, if you keep up with the brushing, and that's the thing, look, you you ideally, I know you're not gonna wanna hear this, 
you should be brushing your Shih Tzu every single day. You really, really should. It is a lot of upkeep. It is a lot of maintenance. I don't want to sugarcoat it to you. I don't want to lie to you. But these guys do get knots very easily. Um, some of them, their hair can grow very fast, very long, and it can get out, of, get out of control very quickly. Now, with that said, you can give them shaves and there's different cuts and Shih Tzu cuts you can do. You can leave the tail long, cut the body, leave the face a little long. It does make it a little easier on the maintenance of the grooming. So you can actually change the grooming that you're doing to help alleviate some of that, um, you know, in between stuff you have to do. But look, really, ideally, you should be grooming your dog every single, excuse me, at least brushing your dog, not a full groom, but a brushing your dog every single day, especially those like behind the ears places, the tail area, in the armpits, I, you know, a lot of times they'd get knots. Um, yeah, it's just, Shih Tzus are, are high maintenance dogs when it comes to their coat and kind of it is what it is type of thing. So yeah, once a month is a good gauge depending on the cuts you're getting for your Shih Tzu and depending upon how much in-between work you're doing. But I hope you're doing that in-between work and keeping up with their coat and good luck to you. Next question. This comes from Pamela from Atlanta, Georgia. Pamela says, my husband really wants to get a lab puppy. Uh-oh. But, <laughs> but I'm worried I will be the one doing all the work. Now we have three kids, 8, 12, and 14, so they are old enough and are ready for a dog. I work from home. My husband does not. Do you think with such an active household and maybe being pulled in different directions, can we have a well-trained, calm puppy? Pamela, great question, and I like that you're at least trying to be a little realistic about it. <laughs> uh, look, it's a yellow lab puppy, right? If you're talking about a yellow lab, you are talking about a dog that's definitely going to need more exercise, more stimulation, um, and, and the puppies can be a little nuts. You know, we all know it. They have a lot of energy, and you have to be ready to drain that energy. So in a nutshell, can it be done? Yes. Can it be done with your family and your lifestyle? Yes, but that's also dependent upon you guys. You know, I, I don't know how responsible your children are. I'm just being honest. If you have really responsible kids that are gung-ho about this and they're ready to go, absolutely, absolutely it can be done. And, and, you know, there's a segment from, geez, a while back, it's probably quite a while ago, called It Takes, um, or Training, Dog Training, It's a Family Affair. That's what it was called. And I talk about that where a family doesn't have to be in hindrance in, in having a dog and training a dog. As a matter of fact, it should be an advantage because if you've got five people in your household, to me, there's no reason why everybody, especially the age your kids are now, there's no reason everybody can't pull their weight. Everybody can't do something. Some of you guys walk them. Some of you guys do the feeding time. Some of you do the train, what, what have you. If everybody pulls their weight, it's amazing what a wonderful dog you can create. That kind of rhymed. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's roll with that. All right. But yeah, you know, can it be done? Absolutely it can be done. But that really is going to be dependent upon you guys. Maybe doggy day camps are something in your puppy's future that you should look into once they're old enough and all that. That supplement, those kind of things that can help. But I'll be honest, without the core family doing everything they need to do, it can be a disaster. I'm just being very, very, very honest with you. It can be. I don't want it to be, but it can be. So it's up to you guys in the end. It really is. It's up to you guys whether you want to put in the time and the energy it takes to create a well-trained, calm puppy. Do your research. Do your reading. Keep doing what you're doing. I can tell you're being due diligent. You're already listening to the podcast, which is fantastic. Um, but get out there, read more, listen to more, do your research, uh, maybe hire a trainer to even come to a consultation before you get the puppy. That's not a bad idea either. You can, you know, reach out to me if you'd like as well. Uh, but good luck, Pamela. And I do hope you guys can create a healthy, happy, well-trained, calm puppy. <laughs> 
that'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. Follow me on Instagram at Dogcast. You can find my YouTube channel at Dogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash Dogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star rating, give me the thumbs up, leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate it. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporters, Regula Wright and Jill Norenberg, and my dog friend, Maureen Crosin. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Walk your dog.